Amen. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together, brothers and sisters, for the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at uh, the second part of this uh, sermon series. It's going to only be two parts, biblical fasting and prayer. And we began in Luke Acts, and this we'll, we'll be looking at some other scriptures on fasting. I'll start with verse 19 of chapter 14 and read through to um, verse 28 of chapter 14. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible word. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen, amen. Please be seated. So as we came to these texts in the book of Acts regarding fasting, it prompted us to ponder uh, our own understanding and practice and seeing uh, room for improvement Uh, chose to uh, pause and open up the scriptures for us in regards to fasting. So the goal of this study is to understand biblical fasting and prayer. We will see that biblical fasting is always linked with prayer. And we will see that the central reason that we fast is because we are physically separated from Jesus Christ, whose body is now in heaven at God's right hand, not here on the earth yet. And attached to this hunger for Christ's presence, we will see that biblical fasting is also an expression of our hunger to see the destruction of all things that separate us from Christ and the expression of his kingdom in the earth. So anything that gets in the way of our experience of his presence or the expression of his kingdom, we want to see those things destroyed. Our flesh, the world and the devil and his forces. We fast because we are not with Christ and in order to hasten the day when finally his enemies are subdued and he returns to this realm so our eyes can see him, our ears can hear him, and we can finally and fully enjoy all the restored fellowship with God that was lost in the garden. 
So last week we looked at uh, Luke Acts, verses in Luke Acts, because that's where we are in our sermon series. We saw Anna, the heart of this worshiping widow, as she was there when Jesus was brought to the temple as a newborn. And we see Jesus describing to us in chapter five of Luke, the heart of fasting, where he says, they will fast when the bridegroom is no longer with them. But the friends of the bridegroom will not fast when they are in his presence. We also looked at sinful fasting in Luke 18, the Pharisee, and we need to take in some warnings regarding sinful fasting as we're being encouraged by the word and the preaching to fast, to think about it and to practice it. We need to watch out and be warned. We looked at Christ's miraculous fast and we saw how the Lord, uh, the father supported him and sustained him for 40 days and he wasn't hungry. That's a miraculous fast. And we see that fasting and spiritual guidance are connected. We saw that in Acts 10 and Acts 13 with Cornelius and with the church at Antioch. And then we also see fasting and prayer connected with the commissioning of evangelists and elders in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. And we emphasize that fasting and prayer are always, always to be together and uh, really emphasize the warning of what, what may happen if we fast and we do not pray. And then looked at some summary principles and our consistory's response to these things, which we will also look at again today. So what are we going to do today in terms of going through scripture? Well, we're going to review the principles and response from last week. So we're going to start out with that to get into those principles that we learned and we understood last week. And recall again what the consistory is asking of Cornerstone. Then we're going to look at this uh, hunger for God and learn from scripture about how fasting and hunger for God go together. And then we're going to look at fasting and spiritual warfare. We're going to look at fasting and marriage. We're going to look at fasting and repentance, fasting and humility, fasting in regards to protection and guidance, and then how fasting can be scheduled or can be spontaneous. There's numerous other scriptures that are available to us. I I posted for you all to see uh, a helpful review article that goes through um, essentially every reference in Scripture to help us see fasting uh, from a a more fully biblical perspective. I won't have time to go through all of those Scriptures today. So first of all, let's look through the principles that we learned last week and be reminded of what we're hoping to see happen here at the church. First of all, biblical fasting is a planned time to abstain from food in order to help us draw near to God and pray. So it's, it's a simple thing. It's always linked with prayer. And it flows from a heart of faith in God. Fasting, the desire to fast from food, flows from a heart of faith in God. From the heart of one who's already been made God's friend by faith in Christ's death and resurrection. So it's a fruit of who we are in Christ. And the warning here is we have to watch out because fasting can be a source or an expression of self-righteousness. That's the, that's the biblical warning. Now, the central purpose for fasting is to mourn that we now live in a fallen world where we are not in the physical presence of Christ. Put most simply, we fast because of the fall. There's no fasting before the fall and there will be no fasting after we are restored to God's presence and glory And the friends of the bridegroom did not fast when Jesus was with them on the earth. The central spiritual outcome of fasting is to heighten our hunger 
to be with God, to be satisfied in God, to be ever closer to him, most especially heightening our longing for his second advent, where we'll see him face to face and all will be made right, but also reshaping our view of death. Fasting reshapes our view of death by giving us a greater longing to be with him. Other outcomes of fasting and prayer will be to receive better understanding of God's word and God's will for our lives. Fasting and prayer helps us better understand God's word and better receive guidance from him for our lives. Fasting and prayer accompany ordaining men to evangelistic work and to the work of church office. And this will provide initial fortification and strengthen the work with great with greater spiritual power. And we see this in the first missionary journey and all the great successes that attended that and how it was launched with fasting and prayer. It was developed, the plan came in fasting and prayer, and then it was launched in fasting and prayer. We looked at private fasting a bit last week in Matthew 6 and that private fasting should remain private. And there's private fasting and then there's also corporate fasting. Public fastings are commended in Scripture, either as families or as churches or as nations. So last week, after getting those principles laid down, uh, we laid out the cornerstone consistory response to this. So uh, Elder Evans and and myself and Deacon Deacon Williner uh, looked at this together, and we agreed to ask that everyone be prepared to engage in spontaneous fasts as the Lord leads via providential things that, that occur through situations that develop. Be ready to fast. Have fasting as a prepared response to things that are going on in the world or in your life or in your heart. Next, we ask that each individual consider private fastings as a regularly scheduled part of their life. Now pursue this with wisdom, considering your own physical age and your own physical state, seeking counsel as needed, whether it's spiritual or medical. Next, we ask that each family consider family fasting together as a regularly scheduled part of their family life. Next, we ask that we as a church, Cornerstone, join together in a one-day fast from food once per month. And this will be in conjunction with our monthly second Thursday evening prayer meeting. So second Thursday of each month, you know, we have our prayer meeting here. So we'll um, ask for folks to fast uh, and Then we'll come together, the church will provide a catered meal, and we'll break our fasts together at that time, and then we'll join together in worship and in prayer. So we thought these were fitting applications of the principles and fitting efforts to um, shore up and perhaps uh, improve that which needs to be improved, strengthen that which needs to be strengthened. So let's move into today's scriptures and learn some more principles about fasting. So first of all, a hunger for God. Matthew 5, verse 6, corresponds to Matthew 6, 16 to 18. When we look at the chiastic structure of the Sermon on the Mount, we see that the Beatitudes serve as the outline for what Jesus is about to teach in the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are not disconnected principles that have nothing to do with the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. But in fact, the Beatitudes serve as the table of contents for what's coming in the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness that we see in Matthew 5, 6 is opened up by Jesus when he teaches about fasting 
in chapter 6. And when you look through and you see the way that these scriptures are fitted together, you'll see that this section here in Matthew 6 regarding fasting is a part of that section that's opening up for us what it means to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness and to be satisfied with him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there's an inner hunger and longing as Christians that we are given. We crave righteousness. We want to be near to God in his ways. And we want to see his glory revealed in the earth. We want to see his ways expressed in the earth. We want it inside and outside. We want it now and every day. We want his righteousness. We hunger for these things. We hunger and thirst for these things. And then in chapter 6 of Matthew, uh, verses 16 through 18, this is right after the section on the Lord's Prayer. So again, we see fasting and prayer put together by Jesus again. Jesus says regarding fasting, When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So these are the principles of private fasting that Jesus lays out for us. And so not only here does Jesus warn us about ungodly fasting and the the hypocrisy that can be a part of ungodly fasting, but he also shows us here that fasting serves as a key way to experience and increase our hunger for God and that the Lord sees this and he rewards this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so as we fast, we are seeking God. As we fast, we're seeking to be satisfied in him. As we fast, we're seeking to live out Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We see these ideas from the psalmist in multiple locations. In Psalm 27, we read this. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then in verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. So, Do we, do you have this same singular focused desire? Could you say this about yourself? To dwell in his presence every day forever? Are we rejoicing in this command that he gives to us to seek his face? Do we pursue him? Do you pursue him like this? If we're honest, we need to see, don't we, that our hearts are weak. Our hearts are weak. I know mine is. With weak affection for God, waxing and waning. Yeah. Do you see this in your own life? Who will strengthen our hearts? The end of Psalm 27, Psalmist says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, when we look at ourselves and our own weak affections for God, we are tempted to lose heart. But when we look to the Lord and his promises, then we will not lose heart. And the psalmist goes on, he says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. What is a strengthened heart in this setting? It is a heart 
that continues to grow in hunger and thirst for God is a heart that continues to trust and enjoy God. We need this. We cannot do this for ourselves. It's really what Paul prayed for the Ephesians, which we as a church have prayed for a long time would be true of us. For this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Strengthened unto what? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul understands the state of the human heart. We need our hearts to be strengthened so we can hunger and thirst for him and worship him. Psalm 41 David says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Again, do you you hear this? We see a desperate thirst for the living God to be in his presence. And fasting is a way that we can express this. Do you know this desperation for God in your soul? Think of a deer having worked hard, panting for water. Think of a deer who's worked hard and water's not to be found. Panting, thirsting for water. Can you say that this is an accurate description of your desire for God? Are you filled with a godly impatience for greater closeness with him? To be satisfied in him alone? To, as we say in the first question to enjoy him forever how do you respond to this there's something wrong with us because we're not like this are we do you see that you as a Christian should expect the same panting and thirsting for God in your own soul is it there Psalm 63 provides some more insight for us here. Same, same basic situation, but with a little extra information. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power And your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. You see, David understood that his soul's longing could not be satisfied with anything in this dry and thirsty land in which we dwell. There's no water, brothers and sisters, there is no water for our souls in this world. So David, what did he do? He sought God's face to behold his power, his glory, finding God's love and his mercy and his compassion better than breathing, better than being alive, better than life itself. He would rather die than not have God. 
Brothers and sisters, listen, this world will tempt us to find our soul's satisfaction from the things of this world, including especially food. Fasting helps us expose our souls to this divine longing that only heaven's river can quench. And food serves as a representation of us saying nothing in this world can satisfy me. And when we lay aside a meal, it's not just food we're laying aside. We're saying there's no river in this world that can satisfy me. You alone, O oh God. You see this? So that's a part of what we're saying when we fast. You alone, O oh God, can satisfy my soul. Look, Jesus publicly cried out to the world to find their soul's longing met in him freely. He wasn't quiet about this desperate longing that we have for God and to be close to him. He wasn't ashamed of this. Are we ashamed to be desperate, to cry out to him, to pant for him, to express that we want more of him and to go after him together? There can be a a properness and a formality that we're afraid to break. We don't want that. Let us express our hunger for God to him and to one another. Jesus said, this is on the last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out. This is in public, in a feast, in Jerusalem. He stood and he, he cried out. You understand that's what that means. He did not whisper. You've heard about Wesley and how his voice could, was it Wesley? Or no, no, help me out. Who was it? Whitfield, who had the great voice that was like miraculous and that would boom out. Jesus is crying out about this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He stands up right in the middle of everyone. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's worth being loud about. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Don't be quiet about your hunger for God. Going on. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So fasting helps us come to Jesus and drink, drink, drink. Of him, of his love, of his grace, of his gentleness, of his lowliness, of his compassion. So that we will be so super saturated with his spirit's outpouring that even great volumes of love and grace will actually flow out of us. You will have rivers of living water that will flow out of you. Do you want this for your life? To be that kind of person in this world. So I hope that you will see and embrace the truth that fasting from food is an expression of our hunger and thirsting for God. And it is a way that we learn to stoke those flames. Not only does fasting help us stoke the flames of love and affection toward God, moving on to our next point. 
so that we pray with more affection and fervency, but also we see that fasting and prayer is used of God to bring his victory over the devil and his dark forces. So as we drink of Christ, listen, brothers and sisters, as we drink of Christ and experience him in real life, we will simultaneously develop a deep hatred for all that comes between any human being and their God. It, 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 they go together because we are rejoicing in Jesus and we want others to do this as well. And we grieve and we have hatred, godly hatred for all that come to destroy that closeness with God that is available through the gospel. So this brings us into fasting and spiritual warfare. Listen to Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And this account is given us to to us very similarly in Mark chapter nine. And I do want to just briefly somewhat tangentially saying the word for fasting uh, in the Greek was not added later. The eclectic texts and the textual criticism that has taken place and is guided by modern liberal ideas has been used to bring doubt into these texts. The word fasting is a part of what has come down to us in the most reliable texts, pointing back to the original. So don't let that cause doubt in your minds when you read Matthew 17, 21, or Mark 9, 29, or also in Acts and Corinthians. You may have noticed that when I posted about that yesterday. So it's worth pausing and just saying that this is accurate. The word fasting is present in the scripture. So what principles can we draw from this? I want us to note, first of all, failure to have victory over certain kinds of demonic beings is a result of our unbelief. Now, I don't know what kind of demonic beings these are. Are they stronger? Are they more clever? Are they trickier? I don't know. But we know there are certain kinds of demonic beings that we fail to have victory over them because of our unbelief, because our faith is too small. Next. Certain kinds of demonic beings cannot be overcome except by prayer and fasting. So by deduction, we can say that when we combine fasting with our prayers, 
God uses this to increase our faith and grow the power of our prayers. Because he says they failed because of unbelief. He said that they only come out by fasting and prayer. So we can deduce from that that when we pray and fast, our faith grows. And we gain prayers that make a bigger difference. Because they're prayers of faith. Prayers from greater faith. We can use Daniel as an example. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came to my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. That's 21 days, right? Now, why is he doing this? He's mourning over the message that he just received from God. And to express his mourning, he's fasting and praying. He mourned in fasting and prayers for three whole weeks. Then at the end of his fasting, an angel comes to him and says these words. Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've become, and, I, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. These are demonic beings. When he says kings of Persia, that's what he's referencing. So this angel sent to Daniel. And th- this angel was being resisted by demonic forces. And Michael came, one of the chief princes, and won this invisible combat. So I want us to note that fasting and prayer to God, first of all, is a way to humble ourselves before God. And we'll see that in another scripture. But we see that here. The idea of humbling and fasting, humbling ourselves before God, go together. Next. Note this, the spiritual battle that was going on in heaven, unseen between these angels, this unnamed angel and Michael against these great demonic beings called the kings or uh, the the prince of the kingdom of Persia uh, and the kings of Persia. This spiritual battle occurred during Daniel's 21 day fast. Let that sink in. When we fast and pray, even if it is not focused upon spiritual warfare, it may be used of God to bring down demonic strongholds. How much more so if the fasting and praying is for the purpose of destroying demonic powers? So we understand that we are in, life is not a playground, it's a battleground, right? And, and we are here on behalf of our king to be his ambassadors and his kings and priests in the earth. To serve him in faithfulness. And we know that he has enemies. And we know that one category of his enemies, the leader, is the devil. And there are minions following the devil's commandments to do his will. These are demons. An entire horde of them. Who knows how many? Maybe a trillion. A lot of demons. They are real. And they hate us. And they want to destroy us. And they deceive. And they do very dastardly things. Do you want to see these spiritual forces defeated off the earth? Do you want to see these evil spiritual forces bound up and cast into the abyss for good? I think if we, if we desire that, we will think about ways to incorporate fasting and prayer together in our spiritual warfare. Next. 
Fasting and marriage. Again, I think it's very important as we're going through all of these practical applications is to remember where this starts. It starts in our hunger for God. It starts in our desire to be worshiping him and staying close to him and walking near to him. Stoking the flames of our love for him. So couples can do this. Married couples can help one another in this process. Listen to what it says. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. It says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So a married couple may agree together to abstain from physical intimacy for a reasonable time frame. What have they agreed to? For the purpose of fasting and prayer. So in whatever thing that may be going on in their marriage or in their family or in the world around them, or maybe just to guard against drifting away from the Lord. So all the purposes and aims of fasting could from time to time prompt a married couple to fast and pray and avoid physical intimacy like this for a time together. Next, there's a connection often between fasting and repentance. And it can be corporate and national. It can be uh, corporate uh, in a, a church worship setting. Listen to these examples. In Esther 9, we see at the end of Esther, the establishment of the Feast of Purim. The Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written in the book. So what's going on here? We see here both a national and a corporate church fast. It's a national fast. It's a church fast. It's sent to the Jews and it's called for by their leaders. Next, in the same category of fasting and repentance, we see in Nehemiah in in chapter nine, verses one through three, listen to this. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. They're all together. They're fasting. Sackcloth, dust, why? Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So they're doing this to confess their sins publicly together, to express the beginning of their repentance. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one fourth of the day and for another fourth they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So... This is an example of the church, the people of God coming together to worship him and fasting being a part of that corporate worship. We see also individual confession of sin. Daniel exemplifies this in verse nine. Now, he's not necessarily confessing his own, just his own sin, but in his fasting and prayer, he's confessing the sin of his nation. And it's worth noting that this is the source of our confession of national sin during our liturgy. What we have been praying aloud together for 
a decade because we believe that our nation is in a similar state as to what Daniel was crying out about. So I want us to note that Daniel combined fasting with this prayer of national confession of sin. The text says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. So fasting is connected with repentance and the expression of repentance. And it can be private. It can be a corporate activity of a church. It can be a national activity. Next, fasting is associated with humility. We already saw that earlier in one of the texts we looked at. But in Leviticus 16, where the Day of Atonement is established, listen to this. Now, and I'll tell you ahead of time, in Acts 27, 9, we know that this is a fast. So the Day of Atonement was the appointed, the appointed annual fast day and the only one before Purim that was a, a national fast day for the people of Israel. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. That's the phrase. You shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls. It's a statute forever. So obviously the day of atonement is fulfilled in Christ's death upon the cross. And this commandment for an annual fast has passed away as a part of the ceremonial law. But the idea that we see here that I want to emphasize is that fasting is connected with humbling ourselves before God. Fasting is a way we read in scripture, humble yourself before the Lord, right? What does that mean? Just really understand what humility is and really understand what pride is and just make sure that you're humble and not proud. Well, there's some of that, but there's also an activity that is implied in that phrase, humble yourself before the Lord. And it's called fasting. Okay. There's a way that we can humble ourselves before God. It's laid out here. It's not the only way. It's not necessarily a required way, but it is a way. Next fasting and protection and guidance. So there's a corporate fast that was proclaimed by Ezra. Listen to this. I proclaimed a fast there at the river of of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God. Ever see that same idea again? To seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this and he answered our prayer. There's a lot here humbling themselves before God. It's a way of seeking the Lord's guidance. Which way are we going to go? It's a way of seeking the Lord's protection as well. So there's a lot there for us to learn about purposes for fasting, protection, guidance, humbling ourselves. We see this as a response to a great threat in Esther 4 after the decree had gone out where all the Jews could be killed in one day. In every province where the king's command and decree arrived, There was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Great threats had been faced by the church throughout history. 
with fasting and praying. Next, for protection when we're going on perilous missions. Esther 4.16 Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Esther had decided she was going to go to the king uninvited. And she knew that that could bring the death penalty upon her. And this was an important mission. It was a perilous mission. And they fasted and prayed before him. Next, I hope we'll see that fasting can be scheduled and it can be spontaneous. Psalm 35, 13, David is responding to the sickness of some that he knows. He says, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. So David is, is seeing something happening. It's not a scheduled fast. He has a, a spontaneous fast in response to this event where he sees someone that he knows who is very sick. And we can go back to Purim as an example of scheduled fasting. So I hope that this is helpful to lay out more principles for us. And I think it will be helpful for us to uh, go through all the principles again and just kind of hear them aloud together and then look at our consistory request again. And then we'll pray and be done. Biblical fasting is a planned time to abstain from food in order to help us draw near to God and pray. Any age, right? Young to old. You'd have to watch out for your health and your, your, your state of health and your age. Maybe you're pregnant, maybe you're nursing. These things need to be considered. But it is something that's open to all in the right time, in the right way. Next, biblical fasting is always linked with prayer. Please don't fast and not pray. Next, biblical fasting flows from a heart of faith in God. So you're already a Christian. You're not using fasting to try to improve your standing with God or try to get God's forgiveness. It comes from the heart of one already made God's friend by faith in Christ's death and resurrection. Be warned, fasting can be a source or an expression of self-righteousness. So please watch out for this. Help each other. With this. Next, the central purpose for fasting is to mourn that we now live in a fallen world. We are not in the physical presence of Christ. We fast because of the fall. So, all of our fastings go back to this the deep root of fasting. Next, the central spiritual outcome of fasting is to heighten our hunger to be with God, to be ever closer to Him, most especially heightening our longing for His second advent but also shaping our view, reshaping our view of death. So fasting will increase our longing for that final day when we see him. Some main outcomes of fasting and prayer will be to receive better understanding of God's word and God's will for our lives. Do you need wisdom? Are you seeking the Lord for guidance? It's time to consider, maybe it's time to fast and pray. Fasting and prayer accompany ordaining men to evangelistic work and to the work of elder And this will provide initial fortification and strengthen the work with greater spiritual power. I think it's worth adding here that one providence that our church faces is a deficiency in in church officers. Um, The number, we need more. And we could fast and pray about this. Next, private fasting should remain private. So if if you purpose to have a private fast, follow through 
on the time frame, unless you're providentially hindered somehow, and keep it to yourself. Private fast is to be private. Next, public fast, fasts are commended in Scripture. And this can be as families or as churches or as a couple or even as nations. Um, so we need to, there, there are some who will claim that public fasting is always wrong because of what Jesus said in Matthew 6 about private fasting. Um, but what Jesus was pointing out is that private fasting is to remain private. Individual fasting is between that individual and God. But that's not the only form of fasting. Next. Fasting with prayer helps us to grow and experience our hunger for God and our satisfaction in God, protecting us from finding empty satisfaction from this world. So there's a, there's a kind of life that we can live, especially in the world of wealth in which we dwell, to where we can find satisfaction in material things so often that we numb or ignore our hunger for God. These things are good. Food, clothing, shelter, uh, time together with friends. These are good things. These things, however, cannot satisfy our souls. Next, fasting, is prayer, fasting and prayer is used of God to bring victory over the devil and his dark forces. So as we consider spiritual warfare, hopefully fasting will be a more frequent consideration. Uh, combining fasting with prayer. Certain kinds of demonic beings, Jesus says this kind cannot be overcome except by prayer and fasting. When we combine fasting with our prayers, God uses this to increase our faith and grow the power of our prayers. Fasting and prayer to God is a way to humble ourselves before God. If you believe that pride is a problem in your life, then one way that you can humble yourself is to fast before the Lord. When we fast and pray, even if it is not focused upon spiritual warfare, it may be used of God to bring down demonic strongholds. We see this with Daniel. How much more so if the fasting and prayer is for the purpose of destroying demonic strongholds? Next. A married couple may agree to abstain from physical intimacy for a reasonable time for the purpose of fasting and prayer. So married couples um, would want to have this uh, available to consider uh, during uh, times where the Lord may lead them into this kind of uh, more intense, uh, fervent prayer. Next, fasting can be a part of expressing repentance, and it can be either corporate or private. Next, church and national leaders may call for public corporate fasts. Next, fasting may be combined with corporate worship in order to strengthen our prayers and worship. Next, fasting appears to be particularly appropriate during times of great national sin and great church sin. And I believe that this item here is particularly relevant to our considerations for fasting today. Next, fasting and prayer may accompany times of great need for guidance and protection. Next, fasting may be spontaneous, prompted by circumstances, or it may be scheduled to prevent drifting, to recall what God has done, to assess the state of our own soul as we fast. So again, to repeat, 
We ask that everyone be prepared to engage in spontaneous fasts as the Lord may lead you via providence. We ask that each individual consider private fasting as a regularly scheduled part of their life. Pursue this with wisdom, though, considering your own physical age and state, seeking counsel as needed from those you trust, perhaps medical counsel as well. We ask that each family consider family fasting together as a regularly scheduled part of their life. And we ask again at the church, that this church, Cornerstone, join together in a one-day fast from food once per month in conjunction with our monthly second Thursday evening prayer meeting. Uh, this is uh, something that we're laying out as a high priority and um, believe it's um, um, there's a source of great opportunity here for us. And uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, it didn't make its way into the principles. It probably should. We see that often breakthroughs are associated with fasting. Breakthroughs are associated with fasting. So our church will provide a catered meal on these nights. Show up. And it'll be ready for you. And uh, we'll break our fast together. And then we'll join together in worship and prayer on those evenings. So may the Lord bless us to uh, have our minds renewed with biblical understanding regarding fasting. And may he bless us to be transformed uh, through the understanding and the practice of biblical fasting in our lives. And may we be a part of a rejuvenation, a renewal of the practice, the understanding and the practice of biblical fasting in our day unto uh, the, the glory of Christ and his name and unto greater joy in our own lives and our relationships and in our church. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we do hunger and thirst for you, O God, and we thank you for the new life in Christ that you have granted to us pouring out your spirit in us unto rivers flowing in us and through us, drinking of you, Lord. Father, we acknowledge that things are not as they should be. We do not love you as we should. Our relationships are not as filled with your glory and love as they should be. And that this world is broken and denying your glory in so many places. Father, bless us to participate through fasting and prayer in your work in us in our relationships, in our families, in our church, and in this world. How we praise you, O God, that you are our King, and that you have saved us and brought us into your eternal glory through Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.